Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Every month, members get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection, and access to daily news digests from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs. Between a full-time job in IT and a full-time job in podcasting, it gets harder and harder to sit down and read the books I'm interested in. This is where Audible comes in. I can listen on my daily commute, relaxing, or while out running errands and still get in the books I've been wanting to get into. You can download titles and listen offline anytime, anywhere. The app is free and can be installed on all smartphones and tablets. Now you can try Audible risk-free with a special 30-day free trial by visiting audibletrial.com forward slash nerdery and murdery. That's audibletrial.com forward slash nerdery and murdery. Don't let your busy life get in the way of that great book you've been wanting to read. Go get your free trial of Audible today. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. This is Jeffrey, and we've talked about many times before that I experience problems and struggles with my mental health. And really, without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy does work. It's helped for me. But but what is is therapy exactly? It's it's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships at work or you're not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's really time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles. And, and it's time to start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is a customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. So join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And there's a special offer to Nerdery and Murdery listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash nerderyandmurdery. That's betterhelp.com forward slash nerderyandmurdery. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. In the chicken club. The what? God damn, open your fucking ears. <laughs> Why are you cursing me? Fuck you. Welcome to episode 36 of Nerdery and Murdery. E 36! Such an idiot. <laughs> I'm Zig with your Nerdery. I'm Jeffrey with your Murdery. And welcome to uh, another week of uh, some good ep- good episode. we got some good content coming out today. Sweet! Uh, just as a quick uh, shameless reminder for everybody, please, please, please... Uh, Give us ratings on iTunes where you can. We'd love if you give us give us a five star rating and give us a review. Uh, we do we love reading through the reviews and it really helps get our content out to other people. It really really helps us and it's completely free and only takes a minute to put those out there. So if that, please 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 go out there and do that. Um, so you know here we are, episode thirty six, and uh, this episode comes out on February sixth. So, with no further ado, unless you have anything, let's step into the the murdery side of the house. I would love to step into the nerdery side of the house. It's going to get a little nerdery today. We're going to talk about a comic book. Jesus. Here. So, we're going to get nerder. We're going to get a little nerdery in the nerdery side of the house. Yes. What a shock. I know. <laughs> Complete shocker. We're going to talk about a comic book series. Cool. We're going to talk about an independent comic book series. Um, we're going to talk about Transmetropolitan. Not familiar with this. Who, what, uh, what label is it under? Uh, originally it was under, uh, Helix, but then it went over, uh, to, uh, the DC imprint, uh, 
Oh my God. <laughs> Great research there, buddy. Thanks. Great research. Thanks. It just, no, it's here. It's just not in my, oh, in my so brain. I, I, I asked it out of order. In other words, yes, let me, yes. let me, let me pull out my script that I don't okay. have and figure this out a little bit. Huh? Well, Sorry okay. about that. Go ahead. When you get to it, you get to it. Okay. So yes, Transmetropolitan is a cyberpunk transhumanist comic book series written by Warren Ellis and co-created and designed by Derek Robertson. Uh, it was published by the American comic book company DC Comics uh, between 1997 and 2002. The series was originally part of the short-lived DC comic imprint Helix, but upon the end of the book's first year, the series was moved to Vertigo is the imprint that I, you know, and it's my favorite imprint and I can never remember the name. It's my brain. It's broken. Great. Vertigo. I'm familiar with Vertigo. Yeah. Uh, Vertigo imprint after DC's comics shut down their Helix imprint. Uh, Transmetropolitan chronicles the battle of Spider Jerusalem, infamous renegade gonzo journalist of the future. future. Now, the first thing we're going to do is talk about transhumanism. Okay. Just to kind of get it out there because it's a weird word. Uh, it's a philosophical movement, uh, the proponents of which advocate and predict the enhancement of the human condition by developing and making widely available, sophisticated technologies uh, which are able to greatly enhance longevity, mood, and cognitive abilities. So, cyberpunk. Uh, transhumanist thinkers study the potential benefits and dangers of emerging technologies that can overcome fundamental human limitations as well as ethics of using such technologies. So, basically, put some wetware in your head and possibly make you live longer. Okay. We're very, we're very shadow run to me right now. Yeah, okay. Very, very. Um, Derek Robertson is an American comic book artist best known for his work as a comic book illustrator and series he co-created, notably Transmetropolitan and The Boys. So if you're familiar oh, yeah, with yeah, The yeah. Boys. The, the, yeah. the Amazon series The Boys. Yes, yes. But we've got episode, uh, season three coming soon. Yes, yes. Very excited about that. Uh, Warren Ellis is a British comic book writer, novelist, and screenwriter. He's best known as co-creator of several original comic series, including Transmetropolitan, Global Frequency, and Red which was adapted into two feature films, Red and Red 2. Oh, God, I love those movies. I, I, I have watched them so many times. That's really cool. I that, I may have to check out this comic book series because now you I've hit got, on both got, the boys and I Red. Will, next time I come over, I will bring the first. I think I've got the first one or possibly two collected editions. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I'd like to look at them. Uh, and it, and it, the the way they did the the the... Uh, graphic novels was they would do a season basically so it's a it's a full season in one book so i'll bring the trans metropolitan one i think i may have two as well i'd love to look at them yeah um and the the artwork is great it's very um you know the stranger in a strange land picture oh goodness um not off the top of my head it's an iron maiden album they, oh, they oh, did, oh, oh, yeah. oh, yes, 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 okay. Yeah, they did an, uh, an album, <clears throat> Stranger Strange Land, because they're all nerds. Right. And that, that street scene, you see a lot of it in the Shadowrun sort of um, artwork. It's that the artwork of this is a lot like that. So if you if you like that style, you're going to see it. Also, a lot of the, the more science fiction y things from Metal Hurlant or, um, which is what they call it in France, but, uh, heavy metal over here. So a lot of the more science fiction-y styles, this plays right into that. Uh, Ellis is also the author of novels Crooked Little Vein and The Gun Machine and the novella Normal. So more specifically about this comic series, Spider Jerusalem dedicated himself to fighting the corruption and abuse of powers of two successive United States presidents. He and his filthy assistants strive to keep the world from turning more dystopian than it already is while dealing with the struggles of fame, power brought about due to the popularity of Spider via his articles. This monthly series began in July of 1997 and concluded in September of 2002. So uh, not very many of them, but they're, 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 they're pretty sweet. Uh, the series was later reprinted in an array of uh, 10 trade paperback volumes and also featured two specials, uh, I Hate It Here and Filth of the City. There's also a lot of uh, there's a lot of punk rock alliterations in this, especially titles, and a lot of um, post-punk and, you know, like, I think there's a Pixie song that's an alliterated, too, 
in the series as well. A lot of people do that. Um, the text pieces were written by uh, Spider Jerusalem and illustrated by a wide range of comic artists. These were later collected in trade paperbacks. So the series itself, it's sometime in the near future. How long uh, into the near future is never specific, uh, but it seems to be the 23rd century. Uh, we have encountered aliens at this point, so uh, the 2200s. Spider-Jerusalem uh, was a retired writer and journalist and bearded hermit living within an isolated, fortified mountain hideaway. Uh, and he gets a call from his irate publisher demanding that the last two books from his publishing deal. Uh, so Jerusalem is forced to come down off the mountain. He gets into town, gets a crappy apartment, shaves his head, shaves his face, and dons these weird sunglasses that allow him to to uh, uh to to kind of process the world with the I have no idea what that noise was maybe it was uh, that means something was delivered to the house right on possibly spider Jerusalem's glasses no pr- probably not but, <laughs> but yeah. they're basically computers that he can read the the things uh it, it's a I believe it's a green circle and a red square so you'll see a lot of people dressed up as that that's spider Jerusalem and he has a tattoo of a spider on his head so jerusalem returns to work in his old, with his old partner and editor mitchell royce who now edits the word the city's largest newspaper um here's the thing when this was written newspapers were still a thing so some of this is i guess kind of killed off although i think most of it is electronic oh sure consume it newspapers are still being made yeah. but they're almost all electronic now yes. star telegram Dallas Morning News, very, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, my in-laws actually get a hard copy of the Star-Telegram, a print copy that they get, but most of it has moved online. The Star-Telegram. The Star-Telegram. Uh, the city. One of the worst papers in America. <laughs> yes, or it was, it, it was at one point, but yeah. yes, it is ours. It is ours. It's just some, yeah. needs some help on some editing. Oh my goodness. They're originally published by the great Eamon Carter. Yes. Yes. Uh, The Word is the city's largest newspaper. Uh, His first story is about an attempted secession by the transient movement. Uh, These people who use genetic body modifications based on alien DNA to become a completely different species and are forced to live in the Angels 8 slum uh, district. The leader of the movement, Fred Christ, Fred Christ, the leader of the movement, is paid to incite a riot and provoke the police. Uh, who use it as a, as an excuse to clear out Angel 8. Uh, however, Jeru- Jerusalem publishes a story revealing the truth and brutal methods used by the police. And soon Royce publishers, uh, publishes it to live, publishes it live all over the city. Uh, the public outcry forces the police to withdraw. And Jerusalem is brutally beaten by the police on his way home, but defiantly says that he's here to stay. The panel... That shows that, I mean, he is a bloody, pulpy mess with teeth broken out and mm-hmm. blood streaming everywhere. And he's just yelling. So this guy's, he's kind of an anti-hero too, because he's a bit of an a-hole. Makes me think of uh, of uh, of heavy metal. Very much so. You know, because when people get beat up on that, you see that. You see teeth being yes. spit out and, and they're just, they're beaten to pulps and there's blood just flowing everywhere. That's, that, that's very, very heavy metal. Very much so. Uh, the first year of the series consists of a set of one-off stories exploring the city uh, and Jerusalem's background, because he's been away for like five or six years. Um, he's off in tense relationship with his sidekicks, Yelena Rossini and Chano Yaro, referred to as his filthy assistants, uh, who as the series progressed become full-time partners in his journalistic battles. Okay. Is, is, is there a reason they're called the filthy assistants? Are they dirty or are no, they nasty? No, or? no, He just calls them the filthy assistants. Right. Because, again, he's a bit of an a-hole. Okay. Um, they're kind of like the Laszlo to his uh, Hunter S. Thompson character. You know, like from where the buffalo roam, that sort of thing. Or uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. He's very, very heavily pulled from Hunter S. Thompson. The main storyline of the series, the election and, corru- and corrupt president of Gary Callahan, or as as uh, Spider refers to him, the Smiler, begins in the series' second year and lasts for the rest of its run. Spider initially considered Callahan the lesser evil compared to the incumbent president, who he refers to as the Beast. 
Uh, but his investigations into Callahan's past and ties with right-wing hate groups lead Callahan having his own campaign manager, uh, Vita Severn, a friend of Jerusalem's, murdered. Uh, in a one-on-one meeting, Spider realizes that Callahan is not merely corrupt, but a complete lunatic and wants to be president solely to hurt people with his new power. To Jerusalem's horror and disgust, the people vote Callahan into office by a wide margin. Once elected, Callahan begins to use his presidential power to torment Jerusalem, the source of his troubles during the campaign. Jerusalem narrowly escapes a police massacre and people protesting how a recent hate crime was investigated. Um, The police refuse to release video of the incident because it reveals several police officers watching the crime occur without interfering. Uh, Jerusalem writes a story revealing the truth about the crimes and subsequent engineering massacre, but Callahan spikes it via D-notice, government censorship of stories that could embarrass the country and the Callahan administration. After being informed of this, Jerusalem leaks the story via a straight text news feed site called The Hole and follows it up with an article exposing Callahan's corrupt circle of advisors, one of whom is a pedophile. When Royce runs the story, Callahan forces the paper's board to direct uh, fire direct forces the board to uh, of directors to fire Spider, uh, who makes an agreement to publish his future stories with the whole. However, Callahan arranges for the city to be left defenseless from a hurricane like near uh, near 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 rune storm. An actual rune storm can sink anyone caught in it. The ravages of the city and kills thousands. Using the chaos to destroy the evidence, Jerusalem has gathered against him and places the city under martial law after the storm ends. Royce reveals that he had archived most of Jerusalem's evidence and delivers it to him on disc. But during the storm, Jerusalem collapses and is diagnosed with an incurable uh, degenerative neurological illness with similar symptoms to Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. So that's kind of where the third series is, is him trying to figure out how to get around. Um, and it's caused by constant exposure to the now defunct informational substance known as eye pollen, which about a year before uh, dementia renders him dysfunctional and only about 1% chance of escaping the fate. Jerusalem increases his vendetta against Callahan, ultimately exposing his evil deeds and bringing the president down. In the final issues epilogue, Jerusalem returns to the mountain home uh, and Royce comes to visit and the assistants show him around the house while explaining that Jerusalem's disease is progressing. It is revealed that Channon has a book deal and Yelena uh, is taking a journalistic role uh, similar to Jerusalem's. Channon and Royce note that Yelena is his spiritual successor, displaying his trademark rage and passion as well as his talent. Uh, in the garden, Jerusalem tells Royce that the disease is so advanced that he cannot light his own cigarettes. Uh, he's also a heavy smoker. That's pretty big in this. He forgets one day out of seven. However, when Royce leaves, Jerusalem pulls out a package of cigarettes and what appears to be a handgun. <laughs> he appears to be placing the barrel under his chin until it's revealed the next panel that it's a lighter and he lights a cigarette and, the sp- and it spins the lighter on his finger, suggesting that he was in fact part of the 1% uh, of patients who recover from the disease and is now merely faking his illness so that he may enjoy his retirement in peace. That's basically how the series sort of plays out, and that's basically it. I just gave it, you a rundown. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's, it sounds very interesting. I'm, I can't wait to see the book mm-hmm. um, because, like I said, the the artistry that you had talked about the various mm-hmm. uh, the various comics, I really like those. I love uh, heavy metal. I really love oh, the oh yeah metal the, harlot or heavy metal heavy metal. Yeah, I absolutely love that. I've watched that time and time again. I actually just started. For the first time, watching Heavy Metal 2000 this week. Oh, I, Fact 2000? I, yeah. Yeah, that I, was great. I'd never watched it. I uh, Oh, excuse me. Chair popped. Um, I've played the video game, yeah. but I'd never watched it. You ever movie. collected the magazine? Um, I did for a while, mm-hmm. and I really loved the stuff in there. That It was a great magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I'd like to check this out. Definitely bring that so I yeah, so I can sure. read it. I would like love. I said, to I know read I've got the it. first one. I want to say I've got the second one too, but I know for a fact Great. I've got the first one. No, I'd love to. I'd love to read them. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully other people will take a take a shot at that. Because yeah, I kind of gave a rundown, uh, basically a, a basic plot outline sure. of the series. But yeah, it, it and it's oh God, it's so dark, but it's also so funny. It's so well drawn and well, and and that's the thing people need to see. They need to see the 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 artistry of mm-hmm. it because it really is good stuff. I have included quite a few pictures of the uh, of the uh, the 
uh, the cover pages mm-hmm. of the uh, the, the graphic the, novels, right? So they can get a good picture. Of the that graphic thing. novels or trade paperbacks? Uh. I think they're graphic novels. Not that novels. there's that much of a yeah, difference. Yeah, but I think they're actually graphic novels okay. specifically. But yeah, they collected the series. And I think it only ran for five years. So, but yeah. it's, and, and, you know, it was five years and it was done. But it was, oh, God, it's so well written and so much fun. And, well, and, and again, hopefully that'll get some people to go look at it because that's just, uh, those type of comics are, are, are just really, really beautiful yeah. to look at. That's what, you know, most people around the world, when they read comics, that's what they're reading. They're mm-hmm. not reading, you know, the superhero stuff that, uh, that that we get mostly over here. Actually, over here, most comic readers are reading stuff like this. It's not just the superhero stuff. Well, and don't discount the fact there, there are very well-drawn superhero comics, oh, too. Oh, God, yes. I mean, go back to the, um, to the 90s, Todd McFarlane. Todd, Todd McFarlane's cool. was phenomenal. Yeah. If you guys aren't if you guys aren't getting any image comics or any image graphic novels, you need to go out and get them. Yeah. Uh, also, everything on the Vertigo imprint I've ever run across is beautiful yeah. and brilliant. And you can usually collect all of those. They're all collected in graphic novels now. Well, in the early 90s was was a big heyday because you had a lot of these artists who were breaking off from Marvel and from uh-huh. DC. And they were forming these indie comics, Image, Dark Horse, uh, Vertigo. Um and and it was just some yeah. it was some beautifully drawn yeah. comic books and I I, yeah. I I think people should definitely check them out. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and, and uh, now granted, uh, DC and Marvel did kind of get into the action and ended up buying out some of these smaller independently uh, run comic books, but they they left them the latitude to do what they do because that's the that that's the whole thing. The reason that they, these are loved and liked is because they do them differently. Mm-hmm. So. Basically, DC would buy them or Marvel would buy them and, and turn them into imprints and go, okay, keep doing what you're doing. We're just, you know, we're, we're just going to, this is just a financial agreement. And they were able to get them out to more people because one of the problems with the independent comics is, yes, you could publish it on your own and get it out there. You can't, you can't publish it like a DC or a Marvel can. No, but what they were leaving for was, um, was their individuality mm-hmm. because, Marvel and DC was not allowing them to be no. individuals, and that's no, what they the wanted, 90s. so they went over to the indie comics. Todd McFarlane was was, was the first major one to oh, go. Yeah. And, uh, oh, there's a great documentary about that. Too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. About about the birth of Image <clears throat> and how the, you know, it was a group of guys that, that went and they just, how amazing those guys were. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Good stuff there. So, uh, unless you have anything else, we will turn over to the murdery side of the house. Murder. So, I'll start off by saying this may or may not be a murder. Not really sure. And you'll see by the end why. Say what now? So, this is an unsolved case. Okay. Um, and, and so you'll see for my, uh, for my references here, I got information off the Claremont Sun, uh, the Collier County Sheriff's Office, uh, the Charlie Project, which that's a great website where I've been reading a lot of information on. The Charlie Project is a website that's dedicated to missing persons, to unsolved missing persons cases. Okay. Uh, also got information off the Morbid Library, uh, investigation. (laughs) Morbid Library. Yes. Uh, in- Investigation Discovery Disappeared Season 5, Episode 3. Uh, American Psychological Association, uh, The Naples Daily News, and The Guardian. So with that, we're going to talk about the disappearance of Terrence Williams. Terrence Williams? Yes. Uh, Terrence was a 27-year-old man who moved to Naples, Florida from Tennessee. Um, he wanted to improve his financial situation and live near his mother, uh, who we talked to almost every day. He had uh, he had four children total, but three of them live back in Tennessee. I didn't get any information off the fourth, but he did have to pay child support for the three back in Tennessee. And so he was kind of having a hard time in Tennessee. Number one, he got a DWI and he got his license suspended. So it was hard for him getting work there. Um, in Florida, there was the housing boom going on. Um, and Terrence was able to find a job very quickly in construction. And then soon after he got a second job where he worked at Pizza Hut. Uh, he did have to rely. I'm assuming he got a driver's license in Florida. Nope. His license was under suspension. 
So all he had was his Tennessee license. He had to rely on rides from his mother and his roommate, Jason. But he was delivering pizzas. Or was he working he was in working the Working at pizza, okay. not delivering. I'm nope. with you. Okay. Nope. So in December of 2003, Terrence decided to buy a car. Um, he was hoping once he got his license back, he might be able to get some more independence, be able to drive himself. And he was in love with Cadillacs. So he ended up buying a used Cadillac, which he, he loved that thing. He doted on it. He, you know, he, that thing looked pristine. Uh, he was very proud of the car and he had gone two years without another incident. So he was looking forward to be able to drive his car in June of 2004 when he could get his license back. So he's bought a car, can't drive it yet. Can't register it. Doesn't have a license. But he got a good caddy. He got a good caddy. <sighs> Just can't register it. Well, so you it's got to sit. Yeah. You say, you know, well, Cadillacs are old beasts, but I can guarantee you, if you've ever ridden in a 1980 Cadillac. Oh my gosh, yes. It's like hey, well, it's like riding down the road in a couch, man. Well, it's like riding in a Lincoln or anything yeah. like that. They're, yeah, it, it absolutely is. Those things just float down the road. So, again, he's going to get his license back in June of 2004. On January 11th, 2004, Terrence was invited to a party in Bonita Springs uh, by some of his Pizza Hut co-workers. This is only 21 minutes away from Naples, okay, where he lives. He wanted to go, but he needed to go home first and change clothes. So his mother picked him up at the house, or picked him up from work and then dropped him off at his house. And when she dropped him off, she told him he, she loved him and to have a good night. But unfortunately, little did she know this was the last time she was ever going to see her son. Um, Terrence once at home, he changed clothes and he asked his roommate, Jason, hey, you know what? Come to the, Come to the party with me. Drive me to the party is really, you know, is what he's asking. But he wants, he, he wants Jason to go with him. And Jason, he was like, no, I'm really tired. I don't want to go. And Terrence tried begging him to go, but he said no. So Terrence really wanted to go to this party. He didn't have a ride. So he decided to drive his car. His Cadillac. He decided to drive his Cadillac. He figured it was 21 minutes away. He could get there and it would be okay. However, short time after he left, Jason got a phone call from Terrence, who was calling him from a payphone. And Terrence told him, he said, "Dude, there are cops everywhere. I'm scared. I don't. I don't know what to do. Um, you know." Yeah, right on. He said, "Just, just talk to me on the phone. Let me calm down and whatnot. I just want to sit here and watch out for police." So <clears throat> Jason was telling him, "You know, it's going to be it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay." And just after a couple minutes, Terrence said, "Okay, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go on to the party." So he hung up the phone, and Jason put his phone next to the TV and went to bed. This is a key point. He usually kept his phone next to him, but he didn't this time. He put his phone at the TV and he went to bed. Uh, the next morning on January 12th, Jason woke up to find that Terrence had not come home. <clears throat> he said this wasn't really unusual because Terrence would, would often tell him, hey, if I don't come home for the night, I'm probably staying at a friend's house. Because he, uh, yeah, he may not have been able to get a ride. He may not have been able to get a ride. Okay. Absolutely. He said, so, you know, don't worry about me if you don't see me for a couple of days. It's all good. Um, and so, again, Jason usually kept his phone by the bed. When he went in, he saw that he had missed calls from a number he didn't recognize at about 4 o'clock in the morning. And Jason called the number because there wasn't a voicemail. And the woman who answered it said that she worked with Terrence at Pizza Hut. And she said Terrence left the party all alone between 5 a.m. and 6 a.m. So Jason kind of figured he must have gone to a friend's house. Where this, I'm not going to worry about this yet. Um, on Tuesday, January 13th. Maybe gone to breakfast. Sure, sure. Yeah, wait for it to get light out so he can drive and nobody will notice him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. On Tuesday, January 13th, Terrence's mom, Marsha, uh, she had not heard from Terrence, but she saw that where there was an email from Jason uh, asking her if she had heard from Terrence. And she hadn't, which got her immediately worried. She said she rarely went more than a day or two without hearing from her son. So this was a little worrisome for her. So she called, started calling everyone she knew uh, who knew, who knew Terrence, but she wasn't finding anyone who had seen or heard from him. So on January 14th, Marsha and her family from Tennessee started calling hospitals and jails, but no one fitting Terrence's description had shown up or had been picked up. So she decided to go to the Pizza Hut where Terrence worked, and it was there where her heart completely dropped because it was there that it was confirmed that Terrence had missed the last three days of work and had even failed to pick up his paycheck. So all very unusual. I, I, missing three days of work is one thing. Not picking up your paycheck is a 
is a right. horse of a different color. Right. And she said that just it just wasn't him to miss work like that. That just, you know, he was very he was very proud that he was working and he was starting to turn his life around. So this was extremely unusual. So she went to the Collier County Sheriff's Office to file a missing persons report. And I I've heard this in multiple podcasts on multiple different subjects. And I th- I don't know. I, I don't know how to do this better, of course. But when she went to the sheriff's office, they told her since Terrence was an adult, she had to wait a month and then come back. A month? I don't understand that. You know, if I, someone's missing, they're missing. That's what I thought. You know, I, I thought the whole thing. You know, I'm sorry, that was really loud. <laughs> nah, that's I, you know, I thought the whole thing was 48 or 72 hours that you could declare missing, but they said a month and then come back. So. You know, I I wonder I, if that's just Florida law. No, I've heard this from other states too. You know, that they that they because they're an adult, that's perfectly well within their right to get up and walk away from their lives if they want to. And I understand that, but at the same time, if you're saying that someone's behavior is different, that they would not do this, they have kids Back in Tennessee. And she'd already called her family in Tennessee. They hadn't seen him. So I I just think at some point, and maybe it's the sheer number of cases that they have. Um, You know, I just, I I think we could probably do something a little sooner than a month. I really do. Because if someone was flighty and and they disappeared a lot, I think that's one thing. But, But when you've got somebody who... They've been trying to turn their life around. They they show up at work on a reg on a regular basis, but now they're not. Um, Terrence hadn't contacted anyone. He hadn't shown up for work. He didn't pick up his check. To me, these are signs. These are signs that something is wrong. Um, Where's the Cadillac? We're getting there. Okay. Um, so so anyway, I, I I'm sorry to tail off on that, but I, I just it, it it's weird. Um, Marsha then goes back home and she calls her family again in Tennessee and they start calling everywhere in Naples, including flooding the sheriff's office dispatch. So here's a nice little tip. Anybody, if you've got somebody missing, flood the dispatch, get everybody can to call and call and call and call until somebody pays attention to you. Um, so the sheriff's department decides to take this case a little more seriously. On Thursday, January 15th, Marsha's sister back in Tennessee called and said they'd located the car. Uh, it had been towed away from a cemetery to a local impound lot. So Marsha rushed over to the impound lot. She talked to the manager and she was told that the car had been towed from Naples Cemetery on January 12th because it was obstructing traffic. Um, according to the report, the tow was requested by the Collier County Sheriff's Office. So Marsh and her family start calling the sheriff's office okay. again. Okay. So is this is this cemetery between where the party was and where he lived? The cemetery is actually in Naples. Okay. So yes, it's somewhere in between. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Marsh and her family started calling the uh, sheriff's office and, ca- and calling and calling, trying to get more information. But the sheriff's office couldn't be of, of any help because no arrest or incident report had been filed. This, again, I'm finding very odd. The, to- the car was towed on request by the sheriff's office. How is there not an instant report? I find this unusual. Um, so Marsha, she's not taking this lying down. Her son is missing, and she decided to start doing some detective work on her own, so she decides to go to the cemetery see if there are any witnesses. I love this woman. Um, Me too. On Friday, January 16th, she called the cemetery. Uh, The person she talked to said they did, in fact, witness Terrence being pulled over. She described Terrence to him. They said, oh, yeah, we saw him. He got pulled over here at the cemetery. Um, She was able to find out at that point that Terrence was pulled over by a deputy named Steve Calkins, who was a 17-year-old veteran of the sheriff's office. A 17-year-old? Sorry, 17-year veteran. Wow. Right on. Yes. Thank you. Uh, witnesses said they remembered seeing a young man fitting Terrence's description that he was pulled over into the cemetery and that the deputy had his emergency sirens on or his emergency lights on. Uh, they said that they did see the deputy ask Terrence for his ID and they heard Terrence say he didn't have any. 
And then they witness Deputy Colskins pat Terrence down and place him in the back of the squad car. Okay, again, I'm going to go back to the sheriff's office has said there's no incident, yet we have somebody who has been pat down and put in the back of a squad car. Um, they also did notice, though, that there didn't seem to be any aggression between Terrence and Deputy Calkins, and that it was very cordial that Terrence was just doing exactly as he was asked to do. So Deputy Calkins then asked the witness that Marsha was talking to if he could leave Terrence's car there, and he would back to, be back to have it towed. And they said, yeah, sure, no problem. Um, witnesses then said that 15 minutes to an hour later, Deputy Calkins returned alone. Uh, that he got into Terrence's car and moved it from the parking spot in front of the funeral home to the side of the road, and the keys to the car were left on the ground by the car. He's going to call for a tow. they got to leave the keys. I wouldn't have put it next to the car. I probably would put it in the wheel well. I mean, but that's just me yeah, having worked tank. in an auto dealership yeah. in the gas tank something. But he put it on the ground. It's better if it was in a lockbox, but, you know, sure. that's a car dealership sure. thing. So, but they, the Marsha and her family still weren't getting any, any answers. So they start calling that, that, that sheriff's office again and again and again. They were really just trying to get any information that Deputy Calkins could give them so that they could try and find uh, Terrence, you know? Um, but again, there was no report filed and they're, they're, they're saying they don't have any information on this. Uh, 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 okay. <clears throat> so let's assume. Just, just for a, a, a mental experiment, and I, and I hate to stop you there, but Deputy, Deputy Calkins picks this guy up, takes him down, maybe lets him go. He has to file something. One would think. Right? One would think. If he took him to arrest him, he had to file something else. One would think. So, okay, I'm with you. Sure. Um, eventually after the family just kept calling, 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 a supervisor got fed up and called Deputy Calkins to try to get to the bottom of things. And I have the actual dispatch call, uh, that, uh, the supervisor did Dep Dep Deputy Calkins. So I'm going to read the recording. You have to bear with me through this. So dispatch says, Steve and Deputy Calkins says, yeah. And dispatch says, I hate to bother you on your day off, but this woman's been bothering us all day. Deputy Calkins then laughed. Dispatch said, you towed a car from Vanderbilt in 100, 111th Monday, a Cadillac. Do you remember it? And Calkins said, um, no. Dispatch said, do you remember? She said it was near the cemetery. And Calkins says, cemetery? Dispatch says, and the people back at the cemetery are telling her, are telling her you put somebody in the back of your vehicle and arrest them, and I don't show you arresting anybody. And Calkins said, I never arrested nobody. Dispatch says, that's what I thought. Okay. And then Calkins says, I got to think about this one for a while. Dispatch, sa dispatch says, are you sure there was no one in that vehicle? Calkins says, no. And dispatch says it was around 1230 in the afternoon. And then Deputy Calkins was laughing. He says, ah, I can't remember. This whole exchange bothered me, um, I, you know, because I actually got to listen to it. And both the deputy and the, and the, and the dispatch seemed very, very callous. Of course, I know the whole story, so I could just be jaded. But this this conversation kind of kind of angered me, you know. Yeah, no, no, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. It's it's again knowing <clears throat> knowing the story as it's unfolding. This is you know this is really important to somebody. But you know, it's like, hey, did you did you see this? I don't know anything about that. You right. know, right. So Marsha was then told that Deputy Calkins had no memory of the contact, but Marsha did not believe this for one second. Marsha ain't the only one. No. Uh, she had the witness testimony, and there was Deputy Calkins' signature on the tow record. So now we do have a record. Um, but what she was struggling with was to believe that a seasoned veteran could forget something that happened four days ago. So she's keeping yeah, on Yeah, this her. is not six months. This is four days ago. Yeah, she's keeping her detective hat on. A Cadillac parked outside the cemetery. That would trigger a memory, I would think. I would think. Yeah. So Terrence's family, God love them, they kept calling and calling and calling and calling the sheriff's office to put more pressure on them so that the supervisor could contact Deputy Calkins again. And this time his memory is jogged, and he says he does rem remember making contact with Terrence. So on Monday, January 19th, because this family has been calling and calling and calling, investigators have been put on the case. And they make contact with Deputy Calkins. Uh, Calkins does tell investigators that he came across Terrence coming down Vanderbilt Road. He said the car was obviously having problems. And Marcia said that uh, 
And he said the car was having problems, but Marcia said the car had just come out of the shop and she drove it about 25 miles with no problems whatsoever. Um, Calkin's story, though, pretty much matched the witnesses' reports. However, he said that Terrence was pleading for a ride to work and asked if he could get a ride up the block to the Circle K, which was where he worked. I'm going to go ahead and let that one sink in for a minute. We know that's not true. He worked at Pizza Hut. That's right. But that's not a Circle K. So did Terrence just lie about working there? Maybe. Possibly. Um, <clears throat> wait, wait, wait. This cop put him in the back of a squad car without a driver's license. And without cuffs. So witnesses said it was very cordial, there was no aggression, and they just put him in the back of the squad car. So we're matching up with witnesses' testimony okay. at this point. So at this point, it could, you know, the way it sounds to me is that Calkins decided to let him go. And so he's saying, hey, do you mind taking me to my work? Well, Terrence didn't have his ID, so maybe he said he wanted to take him to Circle K so he couldn't trace him back to the Pizza Hut. Maybe. Devil's advocate. So at first, Calkins tells Terrence that he should get a cab, but then decides, you know what, Terrence is a nice guy. He's been cooperating, so he decides to give Terrence a ride to the Circle K. He said he took Terrence to the Circle K, and before he let him go, he told Terrence he needed to get his ID squared away and the paperwork done for the car. And then according to Calkins, Terrence told him that the registration papers were in the glove box of the car. Um, we also know that this is a lie because Terrence did not have a car registration because he didn't have his license back yet. So we know this is a lie. On somebody's part. Yes. Terrence or Calkins. Yeah, it's a, we don't know who's lying. Correct. Deputy Calkins did then go back to the cemetery alone to further investigate the car. He, of course, did not find registration papers in the glove box. Um, you know, Terrence did tell him that, he, that that's where it would be, so do remember that. Um, he said that he was upset at being lied to, so he called Circle K and asked for Terrence, but was told no one with that name worked there. He then called the license plate number to dispatch to find out that the tags were expired. Again, where's the record of this? Yes. Why was this not found in the first place that he placed this call yeah, to run been those like, plates? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody called about that. Uh. Why did this take so long to find out? Mm -hmm. um, back on the 15th, they said there was no incident report. But he called in the tag and found it to be expired. I, I don't know how records are kept in police dispatch. Um, is it only recordings or do they have to document the call? For me, working in IT support where we document everything, it's weird. You get a phone call, you document Dude, it. Dude, you were also a police officer for a while. Not long. <laughs> no, 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 but... I didn't like it. No, but but all of that stuff got documented. And this I, would have been in the what, early 90s. I, by this time, I would think... Everything has to be documented. Yeah, no, this, uh, no, not 90s. This was in. No, no, uh, you, you were in the early yes, 90s. Yes, 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 they yes. They were yes, documenting yes. then. I guarantee you they're documenting it now. I don't personally remember. I really don't. Um, just as, as I've gone on in my career now and mm -hmm. we document every call, I just, I don't know what they do on the police dispatch. I, I really don't. So. Anyway, um, investigators do then decide to go back to the Circle K, and they ask to see the manager or the uh, the video from uh, January twelfth. There was nothing on the video showing Terrence being dropped off by De Deputy Calkins. Uh, matter of fact, neither Terrence or Deputy Calkins appeared on the video for that whole day. Um, and employees said they didn't see Terrence at any point during the day. Now, let's play devil's advocate again. Um, that the Circle K itself is a very busy Circle K. I saw this in the video. I worked in a Circle K, and during <laughs> two, multiple places in this story, um, but I remember at busy times during the day, I'm not going to notice somebody at the gas pump. I'm not going to notice somebody being dropped off. So I discount this one, this part a little bit. Yeah, but the video didn't pick anybody up? The video up? didn't pick anybody up that day. That's that's the part, you know, that's the part you can't refute. So Yeah, there's a lot of devils being advocated in this story. I yeah, think. a little bit. Uh Marsha did uh did not believe Deputy Deputy Calkins, and so she filed a complaint against him. Uh she believed he wasn't helping at all into the case, which meant internal affairs now had to open up a case, which they did against Calkins. Um but what happened was they quickly determined that there was an open case. Uh, uh, they, they, they quickly determined since there was an open case into Terrence's disappearance, 
um, and internal in an internal affairs case, they needed to bring in outside authorities. They needed to. They contacted the department, uh, Florida Department of Law Enforcement, and the FBI to come in to investigate because they wanted to avoid any accusations of a cover up. Exactly. That so, makes sense. Yeah, so yeah. sorry. I, I, That's a good I tongue, idea. I tongue tied myself with what I was saying there. They very quickly decided they had to bring in outside authorities. Good idea. Um, but very quickly it was discovered by the FBI and the Department of Law Enforcement that three months earlier there was another complaint that was brought against Deputy Calkins about another man missing from Naples. Uh, this was Felipe Santos, who went missing on October 14th, 2003. The last known person to see Felipe before his disappearance was, say it with me, church, Deputy, Deputy Calkins. Calkins. <laughs> well, we got the will, We did. <laughs> uh, 23-year-old Felipe was a Mexican immigrant. He had a girlfriend with a newborn baby girl. Uh, he was an undocumented worker in the U.S., and he was working a job in construction, uh, which was 30 miles away from where he lived. Uh, most of his salary went back to his family in Mexico. And he and his brothers got a car. Picking people up without IDs, huh? Well, he and his brothers got a car, and they were unable to apply for driver's licenses or get insurance. On the morning of October 14th, Felipe and his brothers were driving to work, and they had driven into Naples, which was close to their work site, when they got into a traffic accident. Uh, the two damaged vehicles got out of the busy intersection where the wreck was and into a shopping center uh, parking lot where the driver of the other car flagged down a sheriff's car. Deputy Calkins was the responding officer. Well, of course he was. Uh, Deputy Calkins questioned both parties and he was and was told that Felipe was the driver of the car. And when Deputy Calkins found out that Felipe did not have a driver's license, he placed Felipe into the back of his cruiser and cited him for reckless driving. Uh, Calkins described it as a very amicable situation where everybody was very cordial. However, the statement from the other driver told a different story. The woman in the other car said that Calkins, Calkins seemed agitated when he came to the scene and made a comment he was tired of handling instances with people without driver's licenses and without insurance. Uh, witnesses stated that Deputy Calkins pulled out of the parking lot with Felipe in the backseat of the cruiser. And his family back at the car, believing that Felipe was being arrested... They figured they'd be able to find him later at the county jail. Uh, they called the jail throughout the day and even went to the jail that afternoon, but Felipe was not there. Two weeks after the accident, on Monday, October 22nd, two weeks, his family uh, uh, you know, had heard no word from Felipe. Yeah. And they finally, they after much trying, they received a copy of Deputy Calkins' incident report. And in the report, Calkins said that he decided to not take Felipe to jail because he was polite. He then stated he was going to drop Felipe off. At the Circle K. At the Circle K. So that Felipe could get a call, make a call and get a ride. Awfully familiar sounding there. Uh, he said he didn't want Felipe to just go back to his car. So he drove him half a mile up to up the road to the Circle K, so he wouldn't just go back to his car and take off in it. However, before letting him go, uh, Calkins did issue Felipe three tickets, one for driving without a license, and which ordered a court appearance on November 13th, while the other two had fines totaling $2,000. Uh, after seeing this report, the Santos family felt Deputy Calkins did not act appropriately. On October 29th, when they were finally able to file a missing persons report, that 30 days stupid thing, um, they also did file a complaint against Deputy Calkins at that point. Uh, Internal Affairs did investigate this one. And in Calkins' 17 years, his record, commendable, not a mark on his record. Uh, he was even lauded as a hero on several occasions while on patrol. As far as the missing persons case, though, they had very little to go on. Felipe was of legal age, and he had every right to disappear if he wanted to. However, when Felipe did not appear in court on November 13th uh, for that citation, he became a wanted fugitive. Uh, Felipe did not contact his family, <clears throat> and family and did not pick up his paycheck, and investigators could not find any evidence to indicate that Felipe was alive and well. Again, somebody that didn't pick up their paycheck, he is sending most of his money back home. Yes, he is. Um, so internal affairs did investigate Debbie Calkins, and after two months, he is exonerated of any wrongdoings. 
the family of Felipe Santos has sent a letter informing them of De- Deputy Calkins being exonerated. 72 hours, ter- 72 hours later, Terrence Williams goes missing. On Wednesday, January 21st, which is nine days after Terrence has gone missing, crime scene processes Terrence's car. Um, two days later, the Sheriff's Department holds a press conference asking the public for help in locating Terrence, and tips began coming in of the sightings, but none of them panned out. On February 12th, Internal Affairs asked Deputy Calkins to come in for a taped interview. He signs a document stating that nothing he says in the interview can be used as evidence in criminal court. And investigators seem satisfied with Calkins' answers, so they decide to give him a polygraph, which he patches, passes. Let's talk about polygraphs for a second. Okay. They're not lie detectors. No, they're not. Um, they detect stress, yeah, not lies. Yeah, they're, they're fear detectors. <clears throat> the accuracy of polygraph testing, it's been controversial for a very long time. Oh, yeah. Um, they're... Dude, the guy who invented it said this is not really accurate. Well, the underlying problem is 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 theoretical. There's no evidence that any pattern of physiological reaction is unique to deception. No. Um, an honest person may be nervous when answering truthfully, and a dishonest person may be non-anxious. There's evidence to suggest And sociopaths do not process emotions like regular people. We no. we know this now. No, and there's there's evidence that indicates there's strategies used to beat polygraphs. You know, so-called countermeasures may actually be effective against it. Mm-hmm. Uh, countermeasures include simple physical movements, psychological intervention, interventions, or even manipulating subjects' belief about the test and the use of drugs to alter arousal patterns. Most psychologists uh, and scientists believe there's little basis for validity in these tests. Which is why they're not admissible, admissible in, court. in court. That's absolutely correct. Yeah. They have been repeatedly rejected uh, because of its inherent uh, unreliability. So it might sound good if somebody has passed or failed a polygraph. The best bet is to really to remain skeptical about any conclusions drawn from any test. So, you know, I just had to talk about that for a minute because he passed. Of course he did. I don't think that really means anything. I think we may have a predator and a police cruiser. But On Monday, March 1st, forensics investigators decided to take a look at his squad car. Uh, they were looking for any signs of a struggle or signs of a cleanup in the car where blood could have been spattered, but the car was immaculate. Of course it was. Um, a GPS tracker was then put in Deputy Calkins' car to see where he spends his time on patrol, uh, and they were looking for any... With sp- or without his knowledge? Um, I, I would assume without. Okay. Because they're trying to see if there are any uh, secluded spots where he might have taken care- Terrence if, in fact, a crime had been committed. Uh, they did identify 12 areas where they did intensive searches, and they searched exhaustively for two days using aerial photography and several cadaver dogs, but could find new evidence. No, no evidence. <clears throat> investigators then looked into Terrence's background to see if there was any reason he would have disappeared on his own. He was actually scheduled to appear in court in Chattanooga on January 14th, two days after his disappearance involving back pay for child support. Um, Monica stated that he never would have run from this and never, and never missed any of his court dates. Monica or Marsha? Marsha. Sorry. Uh, and never missed any of his court dates because he was trying to make everything right. Uh, but because he missed his court date, a warrant was issued for his arrest. Um, meanwhile, investigators, they're still looking at Calkins. They've got to verify his statements. And they pulled recordings of the calls Calkins made to dispatch on the day that Terrence disappeared. Uh, just four minutes after finding out that Terrence's tags were expired, uh, he contacts his friend in dispatch. And his story contradicts his original statement from what the witnesses saw. So we've got a recording. That was at 12.49 p.m. on January 12th, and this is what they heard. And I, I, I'm going to forewarn you when I, when, when I go into this, this is really terrible. This, this, this whole interaction is, is absolutely terrible, um, but I'm reading it exactly as it was in the recording, so here we go. Uh, dispatch, what are you doing, sucker? Calkins, well, I got a homie Cadillac on the side of the road here. Signal 11, signal 52, nobody around. <laughs> Dispatch. All right. Uh, Calkins then says, the tag comes back to nothing. It's just a big old white piece piece of junk Cadillac. Dispatch. Blocking roadway. Calkins, I'm towing it. Dispatch. You tow it, baby. Give me the VIN number. 
Calkins then laughing. Maybe he's out there in the cemetery. He'll come back and his car will be gone. Mr. Dispatch, yeah, really, no, Mr. No Registration. Calkins, well, he was blocking the road about an inch off the road, you know. Remember previously, Calkins said he followed Terrence into the parking lot because his car was having trouble. So this is not jiving right here. Right on. He then said he later moved the car to the side of the road so it could be towed. And this is all within an hour that Calkins allegedly was driving Terrence to the Circle K. So Calkins denied lying. He said he was simply joking around with a coworker. He also said he moved the car to make it not look abandoned, uh, but to make it easier for the towing company. So he, he's contradicting his statements. Uh, however, 20 minutes after the first call, Calkins calls into dispatch again, requesting a background check on Terrence. Uh, this this call was at 1.12 p.m. Dispatch, last name, Calkins, Williams, common spelling. Dispatch, date of birth, Calkins, 4175, blackmail. He said he didn't have his license. Mm-hmm. I, well, I, I mean, I guess he could have given him his name at that point, but the date of birth is a lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is not Terrence's date of birth. Um. Up until this point, investigators were led to believe that Calkins' interaction with Terrence lasted more, no more than about five minutes and that he never knew the last name. Yeah, he just but, gave him a ride up to the Circle K. Right. But 23 minutes after calling dispatch to have the car sto- towed, Calkins was able to call in for a background check using Terrence's full name and fake birth date. Terrence's birth date is actually 11776. I have a question. Uh-huh. So if all of this was recorded and stored and everything when they first looked into this why didn't this pop up that's exactly what i said earlier why did it take so long to find this information it's it's really like they were hiding a lot of information it sounds exactly like they were hiding it so on march 30th they uh the investigators asked calkins to come in again for questioning by internal affairs and they asked him about the discrepancies, and Calkins said, yeah, I'm, I'm really not sure. I can't account for them. Uh, he said he must have found paperwork in the car, but he told him that he had already said that there was no paperwork in the car. So he was all boxed in with questions he didn't have answers to. Um, on Friday, April 16th, police give Calkins another polygraph. This time he failed the polygraph. I'm going to point back to what I said earlier about polygraphs, though. You can't have both sides. Either it's reliable or it's not. And I believe they're not. I mean, this is really why they're not admissible in court. Uh, Calkins does insist that his last interaction with both Felipe and Terrence were at the Circle K and that he had nothing to do with either man going missing. This would be the last time Calkins decided to cooperate with investigators and he stopped answering questions. Uh, No probable cause ever came up to search Calkins' home, so that was never done. And there there was no motive or evidence that investigators could use for a search warrant, so they couldn't get in his home. Uh, On August 20th, the internal affairs investigation came to a close. All complaints against Steve Calkins are sustained, and he gets fired from his job. He was fired for noncompliance with rules and regulations, untruthfulness, and conduct unbecoming of an officer. Two weeks later, Calkins appealed the decision, saying he felt he was being picked on by the agency and they were unfairly going after him for political reasons, but his appeal got denied. Um, Steve Calkins does remain a person of interest in both cases for Felipe Santos and Terrence Williams. Marsha Williams has continued the search for her son as well as now searching for Felipe. Uh, in 2018, she filed way to a wrong- go, Marcia. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, th- oh, this gets better. In 2018, she filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Steve Calkins, and actor Tyler Perry stepped forward, and he has offered 200 thousand of his own money as a reward for information resulting in the criminal conviction of Steve Calkins. I love you, Tyler Perry. <laughs> Unfortunately, the case has been decided against the family, citing lack of evidence. Unfortunately, on the wrongful death, and this is in Florida, right? Yeah. Swampy, gatory Florida. Yes, yes. So th- th- there are really a couple of theories about what happened to Philippe and Terrence. Um, first of them, they're both on the run. Uh, Philippe may have been feared being deported due to the citations of the accident, and he fled the U.S. to Mexico. Yeah, but if he fled the U.S. to Mexico, why wouldn't he end up with his family? Exactly, exactly. Okay. That's that's one of the one of the negatives on this one. Uh, Terrence fearing citations that Steve Calkins could put him on further, uh, could put on him further jeopardizing his license and maybe his relationship with kids. So he went on the run. 
again, neither of these are very plausible. Ne- neither men was never seen. It was ever seen again. No evidence of Felipe in Mexico or the U.S. consulate. Um, and Terrence loved his children. He was trying yes. to make things right. Would he really just disappear to never see his children or his mother again? Yeah. So Who he communicated with every day. Right. So this one's probably not possible. Uh, the second is that Calkins is responsible for the disappearances. It's doubtful it was murder. Um, the car was too clean. Even trace amount of blood would have been detected. Yeah, unless he took him out of the car and murdered him outside. Or he just took him somewhere rural and left him where they would succumb to the elements. Um, this is something police are actually known to have done in other places, mostly no- most notably in Canada, mm-hmm. where officers would, would arrest indigenous men, drive them out of the city, and leave them on the side of the road to make their own way back. Wow. This is called the Starlight Tours. Starlight Tours. Yep. Uh, Felipe Santos has been missing since October 1, 2003. He was born on 1-1-1979 and would be 42 years old today. He's been missing since he was 24 years old. He is a Hispanic male who is 5 foot 7 inches and weighed about 150 pounds at the time of his disappearance. He has black hair, brown eyes, and wore his hair in a ponytail. He was last seen wearing a t-shirt, blue jeans, and boots, and he speaks Spanish and limited English. Terrence Dion Williams has been missing since January 12, 2004. He was born on 11776 and would be 45 years old today. He's been missing since he was 27 years old. He is a black male who is 5'8 to 6 feet uh, and weighed 160 to 175 pounds at the time of his disappearance. He has sandy brown hair, brown eyes, and wore his hair in long dreadlocks. He was last seen wearing a short sleeve button-down shirt, blue jeans, brown Timberland boots, diamond earrings, and a watch with white stones surrounding the face and a silver metal band. He has a vertical surgical scar on his right shoulder and a dark birthmark on the side of his abdomen. Terrence has three tattoos, the initial T in italics above the left side of his chest and the initials ET in square block lettering on his outer right shoulder and his name Terrence in red ink with blue highlights on his left forearm. Terrence's upper front tooth has a gold crown with the letter T in it and the tooth to the right of that has a solid gold cap with the letter T. He may, he may use the alias birth date of April 1, 1975. If you have any information on the whereabouts or anything on these two men, please contact the Collier County Sheriff's Office at 1-800-780-8477, Crime Stoppers at 800-780-TIPS, that's 8477, or call the Q Center 24-hour tip tip line at 910-232-1687. So I, I really like to hear what, anybody's theory is on these disappearances is, is Steve Calkins guilty or, or is it just amazing coincidence that two men disappeared who were last seen with Steve Calkins for me, this case or cases, actually, it just angers me. Yeah. Um, first it seems uh, like it took the sheriff's uh, office way too long to get on both of these cases. Three days after Calkins was cleared, there's a similar disappearance. I'm a hundred percent certain Calkins is to blame for this. Uh, and this is another where the guilty party walks scot-free. I, I I don't think murder, but it kind of is, as I believe the theory that he took them out somewhere rural rural, and let them go to make their own way back or don't. I think these two died walking back either by creature attack, sinister person attack, or died of exposure. So, I mean, yeah, he really kind of did murder them, if that was the case. No, I, no I, I honestly think he actually murdered them. He might as well have murdered them anyway, even yeah. if even if he didn't. But, uh, I mean, that's just where my belief. I think he took them out and just left them mm-hmm. to their own devices. You think they, he actually murdered them? I think them. this dude probably murdered them, yeah. Yeah. And this is a this is this is a public case, so I can I can say without getting into too much trouble. Yeah, it sounds like this Steve Calkins killed these two dudes. Whether he did it intentionally or un, the dude murdered two people. Sure, sure. And and he is walking the streets right now. Sure, and he signed that paperwork too that in the investigation it wouldn't be used in a criminal uh, you yeah. know in a criminal court. So. I, I, I think it's terrible. I think it's awful. I 100% think that, that Calkins is responsible for whatever happened to these two men. Yep. Um, if he's not, I'm sorry, but uh, mm, it sure doesn't seem that way. It, it's circumstantial evidence, yes. and you can't be convicted of that. No, you cannot. Uh, well, you can if a, ju- if a jury sees it, but typically they're not going to convict you on circumstantial evidence. 
but I just, you know, this is, this, this was an amazing story to me, especially, wow. you know, when you get into Filippi Santos and, and Terrence on this, just the similarity between the two. I, it's this, this, this case made me mad. It yeah. really made me mad because, uh, I do not think that that sheriff's office responded appropriately. It really sounded like the sheriff's office, uh, uh, if they didn't know what what happened, they certainly suspected it because they just wanted to sweep this under the rug. That's that's kind of what it sounded like to me too. You know, all this information that comes out later that they or obviously had. Everybody in that in that sheriff's office and the dispatch is incompetent, which is possible too. Yeah. Um. So I I, I don't know. I don't know. I I hope some closure comes on this. I feel bad for Marsha. I you know I I looked up everything. And Mrs. Santos as where well. she, and Mrs. Santos absolutely. I feel bad for all of them because they're still missing their families. Um, Those you know, kids that, had to grow up without fathers too. Mm-hmm. That reward from Tyler Perry is still out there. It's it's. it's I a, love you, Tyler Perry. I know. I he isn't he just the most awesome guy. I mean, oh my God. stepping forward, someone he doesn't even know and say, you know what? Here and he was in Star Trek. Oh yes, he was. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so yeah, really really cool on Tyler Perry. I I hope they get closure on this at some point because Me too. I I can only imagine how bad they must feel every single day while their family members missing. So. <laughs> So, thank you for taking the ride with me again. That was a that was a really really interesting ride. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, with that, we're at the end of another recording week. Uh, just want to remind everybody: you can find more information of us at nerderymurder.com. Uh, you can find our social media links as well as our contact information. If you want to contact us, let us know things you want to know want to hear on the show. Talk about things you would like us to do or not do. Uh, and you can also, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, let us know if there are subjects that you want us to cover. We're, we're happy to do those. Uh, do want to remind everybody, please do uh, put a five-star review out there with iTunes and, a, and a, put a rating and a review. It really helps us get our content out there, and it really helps us along as it is. It's completely free, something you can do to help out. However, if you would like to donate to help out the show, on our website you can find our Patreon where folks can go and help us with our costs of the show, and there's some spiffs that go along with that. Please and thank you. Please and thank you. Uh, and with that, that's kind of the end of our week. So I have been Zig with your nerdery and I'm Jeffrey with your murdery. Cue the music.